In the 11th verse of the second Corinthian letter, the apostle Paul said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I do not want to allow Satan an opportunity to have or to take an advantage of me. The same word that's translated advantage in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 2 is also translated fraud or defraud in 2 Corinthians 7, 2 and in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. So when he said that lest Satan should get an advantage of us, he's saying lest Satan defraud us. And then the same word is translated make a gain of in 2 Corinthians 12, 17 and again in verse 18. Paul said that there were those who were trying to make the people in Corinth believe that he is trying to use them for his own advantage, that is, <clears throat> just to make a gain out of them. I'm sure <clears throat> that none of us like to be used by anybody. I know I would not want to be used by anybody. Now, of course, I don't mind serving the Lord. I'm glad to serve the Lord and be an instrument in the hands of God. But I do not believe that God just uses us. We receive benefit from our serving God. But I'd like for us to think this morning about some ways that Satan may take advantage of us. And when we give Satan that advantage of us, we can really see, ought to be able to see, some of the problems and the difficulties that we face and the fact that he's going to defraud us and use us for his benefit and not for our good. Satan has never used anybody for his good, but always for his advantage. That's the idea, I think, that's in the passage that I read. What are some of the ways that Satan may take an advantage of us? and use us for his own purpose, for his own intentions and his own devices. Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. So he's tricky. What are some of the ways then that he may try to use us and uh, for his own advantage? One of the ways that Satan can take advantage of us is if we do not love the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10 to 12, Paul said, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion. The American Standard Version says a working of error. That they might believe a lie and be damned. Because they love not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Think about it taking advantage of me because I do not love the truth and thereby leading me to believe not what's true but a lie. And as a result of believing a lie, then be damned. We hear people say it doesn't matter what one believes. That passage doesn't say that. The passage does not say they accepted a lie and didn't believe it. The passage said believed a lie. And the reason that they believed the lie was that they loved not the truth. 
Therefore, I raise the question this morning. Do I love truth? Do I want to know what truth is? Am I interested in finding out what truth is? Let it be whatever it may. Or are there things, or do I not love the truth and therefore I'm in danger of being deceived? You know why people are deceived and believe all kind of false things today that are being taught? Because that's what they want to believe. God allows that to happen because that's what they want. That's what the passage says. For this cause, what cause? What's going to happen? God shall send them a strong delusion. That is, they'll be deluded into believing that error is true, when in reality it's a lie. Now, why would God allow that to happen? The statement is because they do not love the truth. Therefore, if I decide that what I want is not true, or if I allow myself to become careless about truth and not be interested in truth, then I've opened the door for Satan to take an advantage of me and make me believe sincerely that which is false and believe a lie and be damned. That's exactly what happened in the third chapter of Genesis. And not God said to Eve, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now what's difficult about that? Not anything. How then did Satan take advantage of her? By coming into the garden and beginning to raise some questions. And then Genesis 3 and 6 points out just exactly what happened. As the devil began to talk to her. Notice now, verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. E, what do you want? True? E, what do you want? What God says? No, I want that which will let me do what I want to do. So the very first lie, that has ever believed in the Bible and that suffered the consequences came about because a woman did not love truth. Here when Satan had come into the garden, there had been within her heart a love for truth, she would have said, no, I know what truth is. My God has said, thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're not going to deceive me and take advantage of me. But because that's what he wanted to do. She saw that and she said, that's what I'd like. But Eve, do you not love truth? No. Because you've had the truth and the love of it's not in your heart. And here's the result that comes from it. And down through the history of time, that's what's happened. People because they love not the truth. God allows them to accept error, believing all the time that that's true. Therefore, 
Revelation 21 talks about those who are on the outside. And it talks about people that love a lie. Who is it that loves a lie? Man, it doesn't love truth. And so people will be lost because they love not the truth and thereby love the lie. We love to hear that which will let us do what we want to do and encourage us in our own desires and our own wishes. And the result is that we listen to that and say, well, now that's good, that's true. I think one of the gravest dangers that every one of us face in giving Satan advantage of us is a failure to love truth. Are we willing to examine our hearts this morning and raise the question and say, do I love truth? Do you like for the truth to be preached? Do you like for the truth to be told even though it cuts across what our wishes and our desires may be in our actions? Does it thread you for somebody to talk about truth that means your life will have to be corrected and changed? Or do you get upset? I don't like that. Is it true? What is what you heard true? Well, yes, but I, I don't like that kind of preaching. Just remember that that attitude gives Satan an advantage. And think about spending your life finally coming to believe that which is false and standing before God in judgment and be lost. Because I gave Satan the very opportunity that he needed. Do you love truth? Second, we can give Satan an advantage when we are prejudiced. Prejudice will close our eyes to truth. In the ninth chapter of the book of John, Jesus healed a blind man, and everybody was acquainted with him. He'd been blind all of his life, born blind. And Jesus healed him, and the scribes and the Pharisees got upset about it. So they began to talk to the man, young man and said, What about it? You've been blind. How'd you get your sight? He said, A man named Jesus gave him a sight. And they said, Oh, you know better than that. That's not really what happened. They couldn't get him to change his mind, and so then they went and talked to his parents. And his parents said, He's of age. You go back and ask him. Now you think about somebody looking at a, a man that had been blind all of his life <clears throat> and refusing to believe what had actually happened. And that chapter closes <clears throat> by Jesus reminding that the real blind people are the ones just like the scribes and the Pharisees. Can you not see the advantage that they had because of prejudice? In the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus performed another miracle. And here was God in the flesh, living among men, performed a miracle. And as they looked at that, 
They said, there's the devil working. Can you imagine somebody being so blinded by prejudice that when the very Son of God stood among men and performed a miracle, they could say, that's the devil. But that's what happened. Jesus said they'd been guilty of blaspheming him. And uh, Mark says that they had committed a sin that would not be forgiven. Mark chapter 3. That's what prejudice will do. It'll blind us to truth, and there's no way that we can be led to accept truth. Whenever Jesus lived among men and people be so blind to call him the devil, you can see what prejudice will do. Now just let me be prejudiced. Do you not see the advantage that Satan has? I can make up my mind about what I want truth to be and be prejudiced about it. And I listen to it. And then immediately my mind's turned off. I say, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to believe that. Just think about the people that are prejudiced toward the very subject of baptism. You just mention it. And the question is not, now what does the Bible teach about that? Let's sit down and see what does the Bible have to say. No prejudice has closed the mind and said, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. And even though Peter said, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not to putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, somebody will say. As I heard a preacher in debate, Right in Birmingham, do. And I heard him on the radio here recently. That very man in a debate here in Birmingham read 1 Peter 3.21 like this. The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us not. Now, if you'll open your Bible and look at it, you'll see that the word there is a parenthesis around the word not. He took the word not out of that parenthesis and moved. Made it say, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us not. That's not the way it reads. Now just think about a man uh, preaching, debating, claiming to lead people and make an argument like that. Prejudice could only cause a man to take a word out of the parenthesis and move it over to make a passage say what it doesn't say. But there are multitudes of people who are prejudiced. And you just mentioned the word baptism with their mind closed. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Mention the word church. And people are prejudiced. Denominationalism and division has so created prejudice in the minds of people today, you just talk about the church. And people are ready to close their minds. It matters not what you may read in the Bible. You can read <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, 20, there is but one body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, give him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body. Just read on and on, and that still doesn't matter. 
Now that's what prejudice will do. May God deliver me from ever being prejudiced about anything or toward anything. Just as surely as I allow prejudice to enter my heart, it'll close the door and Satan will say, I've got you. Now, I want to ask you, how do you think there's going to be any possible change of a man going to heaven that's prejudiced and when he hears the word baptism means they'll close his mind? When the Bible teaches that to the obedient believer, baptism is for the remission of sin. How will he ever obtain the remission of sin? It's into the death of Christ and the body of Christ. How will one ever get there when his mind is closed to one of the very subjects that's necessary for him to enter into the body of Christ? Therefore, Satan has an advantage. I don't want to give him an opportunity like that to defraud me and to keep me from knowing what truth is and uh, learning it and obeying it. But then again, Satan can have an advantage of us when we take a wrong attitude towards Satan. Whenever we get take the idea or the attitude that sin really doesn't matter, it's not serious, then Satan has an advantage of us. Because what man is going to change in his thinking about sin when he thinks it really doesn't matter? Suppose you get a little scratch on your hand. You're not going to run down to the emergency room. Wait till you get like Rick was uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, then you go to the emergency room. But if you just got a little scratch on your hand, what do you think about if uh, David had called me up and said, Rick's been over there in the hospital in the emergency room. He scratched his hand a little place. Well, it, <clears throat> we don't think about it that way. Sin is not like a little scratch on the hand. Sin separates from God. Sin serious. In Romans 12, Paul said, abhor that which is evil. The church at Corinth was puffed up when they had within their ranks a man that was guilty of incest. Now you just think about that. What an advantage Satan would have. And it's in this very context that Paul makes a statement that he does in 2 Corinthians 12. The church had taken to heart the matter and had corrected it. And therefore, the point that Paul was making, young people, let me tell you something. If you ever get the idea that sin really doesn't matter, then you're giving Satan the opportunity that he wants. That's all he wants for you just to say, well, sin really doesn't matter. But if you, don't if you don't believe that sin matters, just find some of the people today that have followed that course of life and see the end and the ruin, the wreck. All of us need to realize the serious nature of sin.
Never get the idea that sin's a little thing. Just think about eating the forbidden fruit. Eve's cast out of the garden. And all the heartache and the tears and the toys from that day until time shall be no more have resulted from Eve taking sin lightly, not thinking seriously about what God said and said, leave it alone. God warns about sin because he loves us, because he cares for us. And when we get the idea that the only way to really live is to participate in sin, we're mistaken. Every sin that I commit means that I live less instead of more. Sin takes away from life. It does not bring real living, and we are deceived when we think that such is the case. Then again, <clears throat> where there is uh, an unforgiving spirit, sin or Satan has an advantage of us. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, or rather 2, the chapter from which I was reading, and the, the one from which our text came, lest Satan take an advantage of us, Paul warned the church at Corinth about the danger of not forgiving the man that referred to Evelyn in chapter 5 that was penitent. And it's easy for us to have an unforgiving spirit. And uh, Jesus, in giving the model prayer in Matthew 6 and verse 12, said, We are to pray, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, or those that trespass against us. And until recently, in teaching this book in the preacher's class on Monday, I never had really noticed that that prayer is finished, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thy of the kingdom, power, and glory forever. And then having finished that prayer, in the next two verses, Jesus warns about the importance of forgiveness. Is that not a solemn reminder that in the prayer which said, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, and having finished the prayer, he said, if you forgive men their trespasses, I'll forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will I forgive you. Showing how easy it is for us to have an unforgiving spirit. Would that not be all that Satan would want? For me to be unforgiving and the result is that Every time I get on my knees and plead God's forgiveness, God does not hear. Can you imagine with the frailties that belong to us in life, coming to the end of the day and looking back over a day that's perhaps marred by our mistakes and our errors and our shortcomings, Bow down before the presence of our God and plead, O oh Lord, forgive me. And Satan rejoiced because God turned that prayer aside and did not hear. How serious. The heart that's unforgiving. 
closes the door to God's forgiveness and gives Satan an advantage. Then again, in the, this uh, same book, Paul mentions a number of sins in 2 Corinthians 12 and uh, 21, or 12 and 20, but among the sins that he mentioned is that of a whisperer. And in Proverbs 16, 28, Solomon said that uh, whispering separates chief friends. Had you ever thought about the fact that to be a whisperer is to give Satan an advantage? I want to turn before our time is up and read, uh, well, let me just turn to chapter 12, and I'd like for you to notice the company that a whisperer keeps. Listen to what he says. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you as such as I would, but I shall be found unto you as such as you would not, <clears throat> lest there be debates, envies, wrath, Cries, backbiting, whisperings, swellings, tumult. Now just look at the company that's in there. And uh, I want to turn to one of the Psalms and read uh, from uh, Psalms uh, chapter 41, verses 4 to 9. And with that, we'll close our lesson this morning. Listen <clears throat> to what the psalmist says. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Now look at verse 5. <clears throat> Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die in his name? Uh, perish. And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. And when he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise uh, my hurt. Look at what the psalmist said that came from the result of whispering. It's condemned also in the first chapter of the book of Romans among the evils. Whispering and gossiping gives Satan an advantage. No wonder the psalmist said, O Lord, put a watch in my mouth. Let me be careful what comes off of the tongue and what I say, these are but some of the ways that Satan takes an advantage of us and uses us. Think of the damage that's been done, of the hurt and the ruin, the reputations that have been affected because of the tongue and things that have been said that are untrue. And then when you try to undo it, even though you may say, I'm sorry, the damage is done. And we cannot undo it. These are but a few of the ways that Satan takes advantage of us. And perhaps tonight I'll talk about some more of them. Because we do not want to allow Satan to have an advantage of us. There's only one place that we can really be saved from Satan. In the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, the record says, And these overcame.
by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing that Satan cannot deal with. Whenever I, in the attitude of heart and the condition necessary, find myself beneath the blood and under the blood and cleansed by the blood, every advantage that Satan has is gone. There's no other place that I can find and find that refuge in Satan. Are you there this morning? Not if you've not obeyed the gospel of Christ. Do you love truth? Do you want to know what the Lord says? Are you not prejudiced? Are you ready to listen when Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? Are you ready to accept that and to do that as the Lord said? Realizing that it'll mean a new life and a new day. No longer will you serve Satan and sin, but to serve the Lord. Are you in the audience and whispering or an unforgiving spirit has alienated you from brethren? Do you not realize that you cannot pray to the Lord that Satan's taken advantage of you? Why not go to the one that you need to go to to make correction? And then together pray that that might be straightened out that you again might enjoy the blessings of being cleansed by the blood. If you're here this morning and are subject to the invitation, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.